Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, January 29th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We get the mayor's views on the current provincial restrictions. And, of course, we ask him if he's made the decision to run for another term. Changes are coming to the Federal Divorce Act beginning in March. We'll get some details on the changes and their significance from Calgary-based family law lawyer Abram Averbach. As new variants of the COVID-19 virus continue to be identified, is it time to start considering new, more effective masking? We get the thoughts of a professor of biology and immunology. And finally, we kick off our morning news weight loss challenge with our partners at Jenny Craig. From day one to the six-week mark, we start our journey to see who will be the biggest loser. Well, our COVID case numbers continue to decline. So is it time to start loosening some of the remaining restrictions here in Calgary? To discuss that, as well as vacancy rates and lots more going on in Calgary, we're joined this morning by Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's talk about uh, those COVID numbers. The good news is they continue to go down. We still have restrictions in place. I know Jason Kenney is supposed to be speaking with Dina Hinshaw this afternoon. Any any thoughts on what might or should be uh, the announcement that should be coming? Yeah, the good news the good news is that the infection rates are going down significantly. Uh, they're sort of back to the level where we were starting to get alarmed in the fall, but still much higher than they were say in September. The confusing news, just as we talked about last week, is that the hospitalizations and ICU cases are still really high, uh, which continues to be baffling, and for me anyway, and continues to let me ask the question, are we testing enough, uh, or are we getting a false positive or false negative, I guess, from these lower infection rates? And I'm sure that that is what's um, what uh, the Dr. Hinshaw and the Premier are thinking about. Uh, I do think it would be helpful if they were to give us a bit more transparency on their roadmap. You know, what level of hospitalizations, what level of ICU admissions would we need to do to see kind of the next level of restrictions? Remember, we had such a plan in the summer, but we've blown way, way beyond those numbers. In mm-hmm. some cases, 10 to 50 times higher than those numbers that would have triggered more restrictions. But we're in a new normal now. So I think that roadmap would be very helpful. And, you know, uh, you mentioned in the intro about restaurants. And certainly that's an interesting case because probably that's the biggest sector of the economy that is not yet reopened. Um, You know, people are like, reopen everything. Well, there's not actually a ton of stuff that's closed. Most businesses are open. But restaurants uh, certainly are not. Gyms are not. Movie theaters are not. And a few other categories like that. And I know that the restaurants are very keen on figuring out how to open safely. Um, Of course, everyone wants them open. Um, But getting that timeline and kind of a list of what the rules will be coming on the other side, I think would be very helpful. So, yeah, the transparency is one part. But, uh, yeah, as we've seen, I think it seems like every day or two we hear about another rural restaurant opening. You know, how do you explain to these restaurateurs who, you know, their livelihood, they put their blood, sweat and tears into their establishments that if we were to go even back to our most recent restrictions before these ones, Mr. Mayor, where it had to be households at a table, how much more unsafe is it if I bring a a family of four to their table in their restaurant versus my kitchen table? Yeah, um, though I think most restaurants would have said that it was very hard for them to operate under that family cohort rule. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as we talked about before, there's the sliding scale on rent subsidy. 
and when you open for dine-in, you lose a portion of the rent subsidy, which is important to a lot of particularly smaller restaurants who might not be able to make that money up, less important to bars uh, and those who make a lot of money on alcohol. But listen, I saw a picture of a sports bar that was open, uh, I think it was in Sylvan Lake, uh, and it was terrifying. It was terrifying because that many people wanted to watch the Oilers play, which was terrifying. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but it looked like a regular old bar. People were not sitting at their tables. They were walking around. Nobody was wearing a mask, um, chatting with obviously people not from their household. And listen, the numbers per capita in rural Alberta are now in many regions greater than they are in the cities. And so you're not immune. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And this new variant, I, I don't mind saying, the new variant is actually terrifying. I just used that word three times in two sentences. <laughs> but it's super scary. And if that thing gets hold, then uh, we'll be in a very bad situation uh, looking at how we move forward while people are getting vaccinated. And, you know, we, we want to get out of this. We don't want to regress. You know, and that being said, uh, we did see some numbers that the city of Calgary issuing 173 tickets under the Public Health Act uh, since the state of emergency was declared back November 24th of 2020. Uh, is it, does it continue to be sort of a, you know, a more educational uh, a, a approach to people who are, are perhaps bending or breaking rules? You know, our approach with bylaw tickets is always education before enforcement. That said, we've been at this for more than a year. Uh, You know, the first case in Canada was a year ago last week. Uh, And so people know. And our bylaw officers have discretion, of course, but it's clear to them when people are floating the rules. It's clear to them when people are putting other people at risk versus, oh, I left my mask in the car, sorry. Um, And, you know, we just, we all got to be careful. Listen, I know it's hard. We're all exhausted. Uh, We don't need um, to be living like this for so very long, but... We just got to get to that light at the end of the tunnel and not go backwards right now as we're getting more and more needles in people's arms. Mayor, I'm wondering if you can spend two more minutes with us after the break. Sure. Good stuff. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. More after the commercial. 819 on the morning news. And as you alluded to earlier, Mayor Nahed Nenshi, who joins us for another segment here. Uh, we One year in Canada for COVID-19. It really came to Calgary when you think about it, it with that March-ish mark. So it seems like the whole calendar year has been affected a little birdie tells us that it's your is it your birthday next week? Oh yes, yes it is. Okay, uh, Monday Sorry, or Tuesday. I, I had myself forgotten. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're this will I be. I think Sue has one coming up too. I do. Could you're you, right, Mayor. It, it's going to be uh, you know last year not affected or this year affected. So uh, what are your birthday plans? Do you have a birthday weekend plan? Actually, you know I do. Uh, birthdays are not really a big deal for me. And in fact, last year, because of all the travel and then COVID, I, I never did anything. Okay. Um, but, uh, I am having a zoom games night. <laughs> and, uh, the nice thing about it is, uh, I've invited friends from all over the place who I normally wouldn't see on my birthday. So there are bright sides. Got to say that is for sure. I agree with you. One of the the good things about COVID is I think it's been able to you know bring people together uh, that you probably wouldn't have thought to 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 call on your birthday, for example, and and do a Zoom call. So that's a fun way. You know, we thought we'd give you a gift, and that's uh, the the ultimate platform for you to make any kind of announcement that you would like to. And you know, yes, I actually do have a big announcement. Oh, good. Okay, okay go ahead. Yeah. Yes, um, my audition for The Bachelorette did not go well. Oh, no. 
So, so I'm stuck here for at least another nine weeks. Okay, yeah, not, so not you're not going out to Jasper. Organizers. I'm wondering, you know, on the let's talk about the the mayorship for a second. Um, when when you have a city and you have ten different candidates, for example, running for mayor, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is that a, is that a good thing to have ten different choices, or does that just uh, muddy the waters and make it more difficult? Oh, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing at this stage. Uh, I'm really very grateful for anybody who wants to put their names forward. And I've always said that if you want to run for city council, in fact, if you want to run for office for anything, I will always try to make time for you, uh, give you some advice, talk about what the job really is. And I've been talking to lots of prospective candidates. So I'm very pleased about that. I think that we're going to have, a, even in COVID times, we're going to have a good conversation uh, about the future of the city. And you know what? Things tend to settle out. The election's not for 10 months. People are announcing very, very early uh, versus historical precedent. And, um, you know, I think that as we get closer to October, some people will drop off. Some choices will come more clear. But what I really am going to encourage everyone to do, even now, is really to use this as an opportunity to have a big conversation about the future of the city. It's always tempting to just talk about what's gone right and what's gone wrong and your feelings about the past. But this is really a chance to say, as we come out of this pandemic, as we hopefully come out of this economic downturn, what are we building here? You know, there's been a lot of conversation in the last few days in various media outlets around the fact that Calgary is getting a bit older as a city, that we're losing some young people. And we're kind of at the beginnings of this trend, but it is troubling. And so we have to ask ourselves, what kind of a city are we building where young people want to stay here and where we attract people from everywhere to invest here and to raise their families here? You know, it's a great reminder. And with, you know, multiple options, you you can find out, you know, what the priorities of the people are and then then make your best decision as to how they will represent you. Right. So can I ask you, though, what is the the sort of final deadline for for you or anyone else who might want to run for mayor? What's the deadline to to make that announcement? Is there one? Well, you know, they're they're really it's September 20th, believe it or not. the Deadline. Um, And, you know, a lot of sort of, again, political folks, I always have political people giving me unsolicited advice, would say that in a situation like this, I should not announce for a really long time, right? Uh, And let people muddy the waters and then jump in to clear them. But I've never been that political that way. Uh, Fundamentally, I think that to be fair to anyone who wants to run, who wants to raise money, they kind of got to know what I'm doing. So I'm still working on uh, the same uh, deadline that we've been talking about, which is to make an announcement, you know, at least here in the first quarter. So one day soon, you'll ask me that question and I will actually have an answer. <laughs> will... That doesn't mean I actually have to decide. <laughs> well, you'll make us fall off our chairs thing. when that happens. Yeah. And at least you cleared up the rumors about The Bachelorette. So uh, Yeah, thank you. You helped us with that. Yeah, but, but I, I, I do hear you're going, Andy. So Yep, he's in. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> uh, thank you so much uh, and happy early birthday. Happy birthday, Mayor. Thanks very much. Take care, everybody. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 6.09 on the morning news. For the first time in nearly 20 years, Canada's Federal Divorce Act is being amended and modernized with changes going to effect on March 1st. With details on these upcoming changes and their significance, we're joined by Abram Averback, a partner with Calgary-based SVR Family Law. Good morning to you, Abram. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Tell us, uh, what are the changes that are coming March 1st? So there are there are some substantial changes that are coming to the act as of March 1st that 
I think largely can fit into two categories. Uh, one is a category of uh, terminology change that is designed to take out some of the conflict between parents who are who are going through a separation. And the other category is are, are some substantial changes, but largely inserting into the legislation things that practitioners and the courts have been doing in the last 20 years with the Divorce Act. So one of the large areas of changes is a specific listing in the Act of what the court is going to consider when assessing what is in the best interests of the child or the children. Now, that's always been the analysis of the court and of practitioners. What's best for the kids and anything that is dealing with parenting. What's happening under the Divorce Act uh, amendment is that there will be a specific listing of the criteria that the court will consider on that analysis. And that's not so much a fundamental change in the way that the court will operate, but what it's designed to do is provide some clarity to individuals who are, who are going through separations to know exactly what it is that's happening. It's, a, it's an access to justice. It's an openness step that, that has been long sought after by, by practitioners across the country. Uh, now, I'm not, I won't go through the whole listing here, but one of the primary areas or one important area where uh, there is a change in the best interest analysis that's important is a consideration of the strength of relationship between the child and the children and individuals who are not the parents. So maybe that's grandparents, maybe it's other members in the community, but that then becomes a fundamental consideration for the court when determining what's best for the child. The, the same is true with a, with a specific listing or a specific direction that the court is to consider things like linguistic, spiritual, cultural heritage. There's express reference to indigenous culture. These, these are all things that are becoming directly relevant considerations for the court. Uh, another, another area of significant change centers around relocation, where one parent is wanting to move uh, with the child uh, to a jurisdiction or to an area that's going to affect parenting time. Sometimes what happens in those circumstances is a parent who perhaps in a circumstance where, where the parents don't uh, have equal parenting time or there's not a lot of contact between the parents, sometimes a parent will move and notify the other only after that move. So that's being expressly changed in the act. A moving parent is required to give at least 60 days notice of their intended relocation, which then gives the other parent an opportunity to object and have a chance to bring the matter to court for some determination rather than only finding out about the move. These are, again, changes that are aimed at easing the impact on the child or the children from that move. An interesting change, though, isn't it, Abram, after so many years that the the courts or the system, I guess, is really looking at what's best for the kids in this case. As we know, you know, divorce is difficult for everybody, but, you know, trying to raise these kids so that they're not scarred or damaged, you know, these are these will hopefully be helpful things that will will make them into, you know, better human beings in the end. Well, that's that's exactly right. And and a, a lot of the social science around separations 
indicates that a separation itself is not negatively impactful on a child. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not suggesting that there's not going to be uh, a strain on the child, just as there's a strain on anyone going through a separation. But from a long-term perspective, the separation itself does not need to be damaging. Where it becomes damaging is where there's parental conflict. Mm. And so these changes that have been long sought by practitioners across the country are aimed at implementing clarity and a process where that conflict can be minimized, always for the benefit of the children. I'm wondering, Abram, you know, you hear when it comes to divorce that it's uh, uh, something that they should try to keep out of the courts and, and maybe steer those going through the process into mediation and not tie it up where the court can also be very costly. These tweaks and these changes, do you think this will uh, add up to more time in court for parents going through divorce? Well, the goal, the goal is certainly not. Um, there, there are changes to the, so one of the changes to the Divorce Act is a specific listed encouragement for parties to explore non-court uh, outcomes for their separation, whether that's mediation, whether that is uh, arbitration, whether that is any other process besides getting, uh, finding themselves into court. So there's, there is really that push from the legislation, and, and we see that. We see that from the Alberta courts, uh, trying to direct people into less confrontational uh, resolution options. I mean, I, I find myself telling clients quite often that before you turn the decision-making of what's going to happen to your family over to a third party who doesn't, doesn't know, know your you. family yeah. the same way you do, yeah, you should try keep keep that control. And so at at SVR, that's certainly an approach that that we advocate. We we mediate. We provide services as mediators. Um, it's it, court court is a way to resolve a family dispute. From our perspective, it's not the best way to resolve that dispute. I like some of the other changes, too, that, uh, you know, are being made. And it, they revolve around just simple words, too, and, and how emotionally charged some of them can be and have been and, and trying to change those to make them a little well less so, obviously. I think those are I think those are so important. Those those changes they've in the in the revised Divorce Act, the the term primary parent, the parent who has the the majority the lion's share of parenting time that's done away with uh, that creates an opposition between the parents where one is termed primary and the other is termed an access parent under the under the the, the current divorce act that change to do away entirely with that term and simply refer to it all as parenting time is an intentional direction mm-hmm. to try to take some of that emotional charging out of the language of the act that's a great point yeah just before we let you go there abram i'm wondering about the business and the family law business has there been an increase over the past uh, 10 11 months uh, during the pandemic well you can certainly expect that that the type of environment that we've all been living in for the last number of months has put tremendous strain on families uh, whether that's uh, from a job loss uh, and and the financial impact, or whether that is from uh, simply having to 
um, be locked down or, or quasi locked down for a period of time in a relationship that's unfortunately not going well. Um, so it's, it's expected that, that that will have an impact on separations. And uh, I'd simply encourage people to um, explore every avenue that they can, uh, whether it's, whether it's counseling, marriage counseling, um, or any, any other avenues. And if, and if a separation is happening to, to think about what's going to happen first, uh, where, where parents are separating and they're deciding that the first and only consideration that they're going to have is making sure that the children are not hurt by this separation that gets that separation on a good track from day number one. Great points. Thank you so much for joining us and clearing this all up, breaking things down for us. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. That is Abram Averbach, partner with SVR Family Law. You can go online, familylaw.svrlawyers.com. 849, as new variants of this COVID-19 virus continue to spread, should we be stepping up our mask game, doubling up, uh, or even wearing them outside? Aaron Bromage is a biology professor and immunologist at the University of Massachusetts and joins us now to get a little more information. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so we had thought we'd gotten this mask thing down, but now we're getting some mixed signals from, you know, Dr. Fauci in the U.S. and then specialists here in Canada. What do we need to know about the mask and, and perhaps, you know, introducing a second mask? Is that is that necessary? Well, a second mask can help. Um, I really want people just to be wearing their first mask and wear it well. So we're really looking at making sure that the mask that you're wearing has a great fit um, and the mask that you're wearing is a good filter. And that's what we should have been doing all the way along. So some of these homemade masks are probably not where we want to be now, um, but a good quality fabric mask that has two or three layers of tightly woven material, that's probably pretty good with a good fit. Um, but we should be looking at, you know, maybe improving those homemade masks up to, you know, more of a certified mask where we possibly can. The tight fit is obviously part of the equation, but the other variable that has entered uh, into the lexicon of COVID are the variants. Uh, the transmissiveness of the variants are, are considerably higher, aren't they, than the regular virus? So certainly with the the UK, the variant that originated in the UK, it seems to have a uh, a better ease at moving between people. And so it still spreads in the same way. We know it's through shared air. We know proximity inside in close spaces is the way in which it's transmitted. Um, Maybe it just requires a little less virus now to get inside you to cause infection. And so that's where we really want to be stepping up our mask game is to make sure that the mask we're wearing um, is filtering the air very well on the breath that we take in and where we possibly can, the people that are around us are also wearing good masks as well. Professor, is it a fair uh, thing to, you know, if you're wearing your mask and you can't blow out, say, a match, does that mean your mask is doing the job it needs to do? Well, it could be. I mean, if you can't blow out a match, but all the air is escaping um, outside your cheeks or up through your glasses, then no. (laughs) Um, What we're really looking at doing, for me, a good judge of whether your mask is doing as good as it can do 
is if you're wearing a mask and you look at yourself in a mirror and when you breathe out, you see the, the material expand out a little bit. But more importantly, when you breathe in, you see it starting to collapse in. That means that you're actually creating tension with your breath. And that means the most of your breath or the air that you're breathing in is going through the material of the mask. If that's happening, you know you're getting the most effectiveness from the mask as possible. Mm. If it's not, you know it's short-circuiting the mask and going up past your glasses or under your chin. So that's what we really should be looking for. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we learned a lot about that three-layer uh, mask, and that was the key. A lot of us wanted to get our hands on, like, those N95s, but we could not at the beginning of the pandemic. Now they may be more readily available for consumers. Uh, is it still a case that the three-layer is good enough, or should we be looking at the surgical grade, the, the higher end, like the N95s? You know, it depends on the environment. If you are finding yourself in close-packed quarters indoors, you do need to step up your mask game. If you spend a lot of time in uh, public transportation or packed offices, which I don't think we should be doing at this stage, then you do need to you know, look at the, say, the KF94s, you know, the KN95s, and if you can get your hand on an N95, great. But for the vast majority of people, um, I pretty much spend all my time in a surgical mask. I prefer the type three surgical masks. They actually have three to four layers of material. And where I would step up my game, like the next step for me, would be just putting a soft cloth mask over the top of it. Mm-hmm. So it's actually feeling the mask onto my face, onto the skin a little bit more tightly so that more of my air actually goes through the material of the surgical mask. Um, I, I find I have a lot of trouble wearing um, the KN95s and having them fit well when I need to do a lot of talking. And I don't want to get a sense of security when it's not really giving me the security because maybe it's not fitting, maybe it's moving, maybe the air's going out the side. I really want the security, not just the false sense of security. Great information. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show today. Appreciate it. That is Professor Aaron Bromridge, who is a biology professor and immunologist at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. 842, and this is day one. Andrew, Dave, and I have begun a journey. It's one I think many of us have been thinking about through this past year. No, it's not to a beach somewhere warm. It's a journey to try and fit into our pants once again. (laughs) Today is day one of our six-week program with Jenny Craig. How's it going, boys? Feeling great. Fantastic. Had my, so far. Uh, had my breakfast this morning, a bar scotty. Uh, there's a little bar you have, uh, a full banana, which will cover uh, two of my fruit dishes today, mm-hmm. and uh, a little chocolate peanut butter bar that is also provided. So Ooh, sounds delicious. That is, it was delicious. You've dove in, and I'm happy to hear that, Dave, because you're the... Uh, uh, somewhat of the architect behind this. Of course, <laughs> Thanks, we, we, have, uh, we have Jenny Craig, the pros, helping us out. But this is something that you and, and Sue discussed, and we've just kind of talked about in the office here. 
socially distanced with our masks on. Of course. Uh, but, you know, it's it's one of these things that it was time for a change, not just the New Year's resolution, but you had some direction from management in your household, and so did I. I was going to say, I don't think I was the architect of this. I think your my wife was. was the architect of this. Uh, after months of badgering, no, she hasn't been that bad. But it was certainly something that we looked at uh, over the Christmas break, over some text messaging. I think everybody, it's just been, it's a rough year. We've been at home and, and probably grazing a little more than perhaps we normally do. Grazing, heading to the water hole yes, a little more often too. than normal. It's yep. uh, It was just time for us to maybe buckle down a little bit, at least for me. And uh, of course, you too, as my staunch friends yeah. and pals mm-hmm. jumping on board. Don't well, worry. And they say strength in numbers. And a lot of the times, if you're challenging and checking in and having that accountability, uh, but for me, uh, it's a about the health, and uh, along with that is a couple of LBs. So we had our initial meetings yesterday with our counselors. Mm-hmm. My counselor's name was Donna. She was lovely, and she explained everything to me. So, I mean, here's anything new is a challenge. So it's not like I had to relearn everything, but uh, the system and calorie counting, uh, I, I thought it was very clear. Uh, how about you, Sue? Yeah, I, I met with Jen yesterday, and we're, they're doing most of their meetings over Zoom right now, obviously, with the social distancing aspect of things. But I think that it's great because you really get an understanding of what the program is. And, you know, you kind of see it, and it's just like, oh, well, I buy food, and then I lose weight. Well, that's not how it works. They they teach you how to eat better, how to, you know, make lifestyle changes, and, and how to continue it once the program is over. And I, I just think it's, it's a great way to, you know, kind of kickstart something that I've been thinking about, well, for a little while now since (laughs) things started not to fit so well. Well, Emily is my consultant, and uh, she is awesome with uh, Jenny Craig. And uh, the the first thing that I noticed was identifying habits right away, right? Like that was kind of something we went through right in our console Mm -hmm. yesterday is just like, what are your eating habits right now? And what are your drinking habits right now? And it's just eliminating, you know, at least a lot for both. I said, I am certainly not uh, on the small end of either of those categories, (laughs) but uh, I was just thinking, I was just like, wow, this is great. I'm uh, first day or before the first day, because we had our meeting yesterday uh, morning, 1130 for me on the zoom. And, you know, first day I'm already, I'm already identifying some bad habits that I have. And, you know, another challenge for me was, of course, uh, eating breakfast this morning, which which I yeah, don't usually, usually do it, right? until 1030. So uh, I'm already feeling, with, like, to be honest, a little bit more energy. Usually I'm sliding away at about 845. Right? What an amazing thing food can do for you. It's, it's really quite <laughs> clever. Yeah. It can really help your body. They call it fuel for a reason, Dave. Uh, there is a great way that you can play along with us. You know, we're, we're kind of competing against each other and ourselves in this. Um, but if you would like to join in, maybe you, you gained a few pounds uh, through this last pandemic year. Well, Jenny Craig is offering CHQR listeners a, a fantastic deal. In fact, they've never done a program like this before. 60% off their best program for you. So all you have to do if you want to get in on it, call 1-800-99-JENNY. Or you can visit uh, Jenny Craig Weight Loss Center in Calgary. The doors are locked. You can knock, though. Come talk to somebody safely. But you probably your best bet is just to call 1-800-99-JENNY. And we still haven't laid down the parameters of our little challenge. We've decided it'll be a weight loss percentage mm-hmm. because women and men, different bodies, uh, different weight loss. Uh, so we'll have to still hash that out. And I don't think it can be a trip to the buffet because A, the buffets are closed. Oh, that defeats the process. That is uh, counterproductive. Right? Let's so. make it cold, hard cash, gentlemen. Well, we could do some cash. Throw a 20 I've, lo- I've lost enough this week. So. The studio, yeah. <laughs> we'll work on the details.